Uh, and guy. we're live. <laughs> All right. We promise she's not that drunk yet. It's just one no, of those days. This is one of our friends that we apologize for. Everybody's got one of those. <laughs> we warn our friends before we meet the friend Nick. He's one of those. But we like him anyway. All right. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passion and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Marvin Wynn, introduce himself. Hi, everybody. It's Marvin Wynn coming to you live from Comicsburg, Pennsylvania. I am the writer and creator of The Edge, a comic book that we are going to be kickstarting uh, starting in April. So, you know, check us out at theedgecomic.com. All right. And all of the links will be in the show notes as usual. So uh, check those out, people. And the next part of the uh, interview is how we first found them. And so I'll answer this for both of us. Uh, I actually first saw him when he was doing an interview on the Banff podcast about a year ago. And so he was our first comics book guy to come on for season one. So with his Kickstarter coming out, I'm like, we've got to get him back to talk about all the new things he's doing. So uh, so here we are. And maybe Stock and I stalk him and like phantom like all of his art because it's amazing. I do not phantom like it. I like it. (laughs) Oh, well, you you do it incognito because you don't do it as you. You do it as your alter ego. I do it as me. Mm-hmm. I, I know about your stock pages. Like you're following some people. I know. I'm on to you. No, I did not all- get that restraining order against Henry Cavill or him against me. However, it may go. I, I'm, I'm not saying her her alter ego is Chuck Tingle, but I'm just saying some books have come out, and and I'm starting to have some questions, Doc. You know what? Just because I told you where to put that tentacle doesn't mean that I'm Chuck Tingle. Oh, <laughs> uh, we, we might be losing that family friendly rating on this episode. You started it. I mean, but you brought the comic books guy on, and you want to mention tentacles? Are you trying to give him a bad name? No, he doesn't draw those kind of comics. Wait, you don't, do you? Those aren't comics. <laughs> those are mangas. Totally different than medium. <laughs> yeah, is I mean, smiling at people. That's what the mangas are doing. They're kicking American comics butt right now. You're going to be the man to fix it, though. I have faith. I I, I want to try it. Let, I mean, let's see what happens. I mean, we're, we're we're trying to cross those lines. So we actually are going to be part of a book festival uh, in August here in Pittsburgh, and it's the first of its kind here in Pittsburgh. And we are going to be uh, selling our wares, talking to people about comics. So who knows and any, anything can happen at those kind of events because now it's a brand it's a brand new audience of people who probably don't even haven't read a comic in 15 20 years so bring them back into the fold i think comics lost a bled a lot of listeners and listeners readers when they got political and both sides were doing it and people were like i just want to read a good story and those people sort of got left behind and now that the indie revolution has hit all spheres of of creating i think people are slowly starting to come back and realize hey we can have fun again yeah, and I think you find those people. Well, and I think that's a lot of things are, are going on in that stead. And it's not just the the reemergence of indie; it's the breakup of Diamond. So now that Diamond is not a monopoly, now other books and other avenues are maybe made available for people to actually get it. Books like your Kickstarters or your or your or Indiegogos or crowdfunding. It's yeah, not just about stores anymore, really. Too. 
yeah, because I mean, look at what happened with Sanderson. In I mean, Sanderson's always been a big name, mm -hmm. but thirty-four plus million dollars, yeah. and well, and he's been doing a lot to lately to help highlight all the other things that are going on in publishing on Kickstarter, which is great. You know, I think it's wonderful medium to have people directly interact and say, "That's what I want." There's my money. Right. So. All right, Doc. You got to ask him the religion questions. You got to see if he gets to stay. He gets to stay. We like him. So I mean, this is true, but we can't tell him that until he answers. <laughs> we're not. We're not going to ask you which one you like better, DC or Marvel, because I'm told that's not a fair question to ask. Well, he's he's from um, from Pennsylvania. So do we get to ask him, Pat's or Gino's? I have no idea what that even means. Do, do you, Marvin? I don't. That think we're in Western Pennsylvania. That's probably. <laughs> I, I lived in Philly for a little bit. There you go. Uh, there you go. That's the, it. The cheesesteak. The two. two All I'm grams. hearing are places where it snows, and I'm going. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, so here, here's a. So you brought up snow. So we're we're about we're we have a winter storm advisory right now for tomorrow morning, but it's going to be 70 degrees tomorrow afternoon. Wow. That's, That's a Missouri level shit right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I lived in Missouri, so I, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, frozen trees. Is like, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. No, I, I loved how the uh, ladies who were from Korea at basic training pronounced Missouri as misery. I thought it was misery. a very apt <laughs> statement for Fort Leonard Wood. Right. So, but two religions Star mm -hmm. Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? So we can pretty much eliminate Firefly from that right now. But I, it's the only one that has a, like a hardcore comic following. I know, but I've, it's it's one of those things where it it blew up really big, and then it was, and then it died. And it's one of those things that I've always wanted to. Don't go tell it's fandom; it died <laughs> because well, they don't know yet. Well, it died. I, I heard that Disney might bring it back, but it was one of those. We're things not going to talk about that. It was. Um, something that blew up really big and then it got like Fox killed it. So I never, I've never watched an episode of Firefly. I tried watching the movie the other day, like, and I watched, it was always in the middle of it. So I didn't finish it. So I may go back to that. But for me, I mean, it's like, it's always a, a toss up between Star Wars and Star Trek. That's and fair. it's and Star Wars was the, the Jedi and the Millennium Falcon and uh, Boba Fett and all that other good stuff. But to me, my favorite thing about Star Trek was Deep Space Nine because it was an outlier of the other shows. So you really didn't have the protection of the Federation that you had on Next Generation or even Voyager for, for that part. Because when they bought the Maquis on board Voyager, they said, we're going to follow Federation rules. And if you don't like it, we'll put you on a shuttlecraft and, and shunt you out in the space somewhere or something. But Deep Space Nine had the best overall season with the um, Dominion War. That was uh, some of the best television ever. I have always been a hardcore Deep Space Nine fan. So, yeah. and uh, I like the Deep Space Nine because um, Cisco knocked Q on his ass, and that was one of the best scenes I've ever seen. And like he would come, because he just goes, "I'm not going to play your game your yeah. way." No. Yeah. He's like, I'm not, I'm not Picard. I'm not going to play these games with you. Get off my station. I thought that was great. And it was, it was that moment while watching those. Cause I was a teenager watching them mm -hmm. and teenagers are 
are horrible to each other. Yeah. You know, and it was just that moment of, and that kick, click, I don't have to play their game. Yeah. I don't have to interact with these people like that. And it was great role modeling of behavior. (laughs) (laughs) So I loved it. I also really liked it because it was um, probably as an adult looking back, it's one of the ones with a healthier work life balance in the show. And uh, I think that's something that we all could probably use a little better examples of. And I mean, when when you talk about the Dominion War, and then you're you're dealing with the uh, Dominion occupying Cardassia, and the Cardassians finally feeling what the Bajorans felt after all yeah. that time when they occupied Bajor, and they and when um, when Kira said it to uh, to the the one guy, she said, "So so now you know how we felt." He just looks at her like, "Damn it." Yep. And then like my, my favorite villain is Golden Cot. Like of most mostly every show and movie, Goldicott was a, just a great villain. He's in he's so insanely Machiavellian. How can you not you don't have to like him? In fact, you're not supposed to like him. Yeah. Right. Mad props to him. And and they had a phenomenal actor for it. Mm-hmm. So and then I think also with Nog, I think we've all been that kid on the outside yeah. who's just want something that's totally different than everybody else around him. Mm-hmm. And and Nog had to deal with that. He wanted yeah. to be in the, uh, a federation uh, in the federation. He wanted to be in Starfleet and everybody else was like you can't do that. Why would you do that? And we've all had that point. Yeah. Well, even Cisco said that to him like he didn't believe him that he that he wanted to do it. Like he thought he was just, it was just a con. He thought it was con. I never really understood why and what that type of conversation meant until I was in the army and I knew people who unfortunately did go into the army in order to do some more nefarious things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, because I was just like, what? And looking back on it when I was watching it after my time in the army, I went, oh, that conversation makes so much more sense now to me. And And then the episode when he lost his leg and then he's, didn't want to fight anymore like he was done and he wanted to hide in the hollow deck it's just this, yeah. like, like it's just this the characters on the show the themes on the show were just it was just so good and that's what there were a, there were a lot of super deep themes to that show and and it had the one thing that um next generation didn't have was long form storytelling yes uh, next generation did not do that it was into the show reset it on to the next one you yeah, if you're watching, you might get like a two to three story arc episode, but or yeah, an episode, a story arc that crossed over maybe a few episodes, but normally those were like the end of the season, beginning of the next season episode. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I thought it was phenomenal. I loved it. Um, don't ever remake it. Whoever thinks that remaking it is a bad idea because it won't yeah. be right. Right, and I, I think the the only thing I'm really, I would really look forward to because I'm I'm tired of that. Like I'm tired of the original Star Trek up to Next Generation as far as them doing shows about that. I want them to go a thousand years into the future uh, from uh, in the Deep Space Nine and do something different with like the Federations and shambles. It's all falling apart. It's war, and they they're on their own. There's like two or three other allies, and that's it. Everybody else is just for themselves. Or if they want to do something else, and I I'd like to see a show about Worf. Worf deserves a show. Well, dude, Worf's amazing. From the Klingon uh, side of things, I uh, Worf's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that would be amazing. Or even just one where 
Like you could even do go up a forward a couple hundred years into the future and talk about what Phaedra is doing and mm -hmm. what's going on with, you know, the wormhole aliens and stuff like that. That would all be awesome. I would love something like that. So stop rehashing old stories <laughs> and destroying my nostalgia. Move forward. Or or, or another uh, show with James T. Kirk. I'm like, all right, <laughs> enough of this guy. You so know, I'm going to say this, and somebody's going to want to take a hit out on me. He was my least favorite captain. What did you think of the show Enterprise? I enjoyed it until so you know how in in like when there's this law in a story, there's that old adage: send they get a couple guys with guns. In Star Trek, it's the Borg. So Enterprise was good, and then they decided our ratings are low. Send in the Borg. <laughs> Yeah, on every show, except which one? Deep Space Nine. Yep. The Borg on Deep Space Nine. Voyager had the Borg. Yeah, Next Generation had the Borg. The new, the new Star Trek shows have Borg. Like, no, of enough of the Borg. Fair. So uh, if you're if you're uh, if you're not well, you're not watching on the side chat, dear listener. But I put in the chat, Babylon Five was the best Trek ever. Uh, if, if you if you know, you know. And so Doc is threatening uh, to kill me. You will die in a warp core breach. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the shenanigans we type on the side to each other while we're trying to be but serious on the podcast. I will say this one, though. Jadzia Dax is part of why I got into science. Really? And it was really shameful the way that what they did to that, to that, uh, the actress that played that character. Yeah. What Where she wanted, she, wanted, she wanted to go do other things. And they just like, OK, get out of here. They just kicked her off the show. They just killed her off instead of yeah. saying, well, we can make you a semi-reoccurring character instead. Yeah. Well, like they did with Denise Crosby. Like, they killed her off and then brought her back as her, own, as her daughter. Yeah, it, but I mean, I absolutely loved Jadzia Dax because mm -hmm. she was a scientist. She was a warrior. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, she was hot. Mm -hmm. She could play with the boys, and then she could also wear heels and makeup. Yep. I, can, I, I can do the play with the boys, obviously, but I cannot do the heels and makeup. So, but she's and and the relationship with Worf felt authentic. Like when they tried to force um, Troy and Worf together on the show, it was awful because they they didn't have any chemistry. That they didn't make any sense. <laughs> Troy was the worst character in any Star Trek franchise. I hated that. Oh, I I just never understood why she was always out of uniform. Because she well, wasn't I technically. Understand. I still don't understand why her why she was the only one. Not just out of uniform, but she was always the one with the cleavage. Yeah. Wait, she wasn't actually in Starfleet, was she? She was an advisor? No, she no, was she, in Starfleet. Yeah, she was a lieutenant commander in, in Starfleet. I thought See, she was an advisor. Maybe she goes to, and the Army Medical Corps is always wrong. Like, if, you, if you're walking on post and somebody salutes and they salute wrong, they're probably Medical Corps. <laughs> I just, I mean, her, her observations as an empath were just like, Okay, I, I could have told you that, and I'm like, how old I was at the time. Like, you didn't need, like, rocket science superpowers to figure that out. He's lying. Okay, we knew him. <laughs> like, tell us something we didn't know. But all right, so now we get to go to the fantasy religion questions, Doc. Well, we were having so much fun. We okay. were, but this is not the Star Trek hour. This is the Sell the Edge hour. It is the Sell the Edge hour. So Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or Wheel of Time? So I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to go off the ranch again because I haven't watched any of those things. 
Uh, he read books. <laughs> huh? I haven't read the books. I haven't watched the shows. I haven't watched the movies. None of it. I've seen a little bit of been too busy Rainbow. making comics. And was that? You've been too busy making comics. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. So if if I'm going into a fantasy realm and it, it's something that I want to believe in and, and really get a handle on, it's, it would be something like Crawl. I think Crawl is is was was one of the one of those best fantasy movies of its of its time, and it's something that shouldn't have died when it did. It's something that should be in comic book form. There's so much lore uh, with the Beast, even before the Beast coming to Crawl. There's so much story there that needs to be told, and I really it's one of those things that when I think about like if I could get a license for something, what would I get? And my top two things is always crawl or in the video, the contra video game. There's just so much story you can tell with that stuff that, and it's just sitting there and no one cares about it. And it's it's and it's losing its luster over the years. But I like it's something I, I revisit all the time uh, is crawl. So I would build something around crawl and say that would be my fantasy thing that I would really enjoy to work with. If we're going on ones that I felt like died too soon, did you watch the uh, show Carnival Row? about yes. the uh urban fantasy kind of thing like yes i actually when i watched the first season because there hasn't been a season two and it doesn't look like it's going to get renewed mm -hmm. i started hoping it was based on a book so i could read it because i wanted yeah. more. They did a book with it no that this came as purely a screenplay there is no books in this universe no the carnival row that's the one with the elves yeah and the uh the, the cop that uh was a fairy, yeah, they fairy. An there, there's an audio book it's a prequel to the show Okay, when I watched it and listened, I didn't find anything because I looked. And the Wikipedia page said it was based on a, uh, what do you call it, a screenplay, and it was never anything else first. But that's a universe, for example, that's rich with lore that could be explored. Right. right. And there was another one, uh, Carnival, uh, a show on HBO. Did you watch that? I have not. Go on. So it's a show about uh, the light and the dark. So it takes place during the Dust Bowl era, and it's a okay. traveling uh, carnival. And so in this, in the lore of the, of the show, uh, the light creates the dark and the dark creates the light. So it's like if someone is the avatar of light and they have a child, they create the avatar of darkness okay. and then they have the other way around. So it's, it's about, it's, it stars Nick Stahl and he's the avatar for light. And then the avatar for darkness is a preacher. And it's so intertwined with uh, uh, so much stuff going on in the show. It's, it's an amazing show. Uh, you have like one of the the, uh, the the avatar of dark dies, and then he possesses people in the carnival. So there's a, a blind seer, and he he possesses her to carry out his his duties, and that's played by Adrian Barbeau. I'm gonna have I'm to gonna look have this to up. Out yeah, it was, it was on HBO. It should probably still be on HBO. It, they had two seasons, and it got canceled. Why is it all the good stuff gets canceled, and then the crap <laughs> they make season after season? I've not figured that it's out yet. The good die young. Well, I think it's 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 somewhat of the the thought process of the people who are the producers of the show, and the producers of the show, the person who created the show, or the person who uh, like it was like on Seinfeld. Remember when they were doing their show, and a new showrunner came in and she said, "I'm not picking this up." That was that other guy's show. So new people come in, they're like, "I don't like this," and they get rid of it. It was something that's what happened with Futurama on Fox is the person who was running the showrunners for all the shows didn't like it so they played it out of order or they put it up against the nfl and it would get uh, 
pre- uh, preempted by the NFL and you would miss episodes and you didn't know what was going on and then they canceled yeah. and then it became yeah well and I mean I the Dresden file showed that they did that actually too mm. they um they did not understand that it is not as episode how how they did it was not as episodic as the people who were then selecting the air date so like they actually they even filmed they aired other things before they aired the pilot mm-hmm. and um so it, it was i've known several people who are like if you go back and you watch it in the order that matches the books it's a much right. better show because some of it is it's a very different t- style of storytelling mm-hmm. and then they, and, they, they uh, bought up firefly before that's what happened with firefly the same thing like the people that on fox didn't like it so they preempted it for the nfl like nfl seems to be the, the, the what they use to crush out the show so if they don't like a show they put it on at 7 p.m guaranteeing that the nfl is going nfl is going to run long and then the shows you never want to see it. and that is why as a child and young adult i hated football <laughs> i i really did i i remember glaring at it and going i hate, hate football <laughs> that's I how they still- got that's how they got. Uh, that's how Terra Nova died, the show mm-hmm. that we both liked about the dinosaurs and time travel, and that's how um, Stargate Universe got killed. Because back then everyone was DVRing everything, so on the one they couldn't they couldn't track views with DVR. They didn't have a mechanism to know how many people were watching it. And then even if you did DVR it, you couldn't just say I want to watch X show. It was X show on this channel at this time. And so if the right. football pushed it long, you, you got an hour of football for a game you didn't care about and not what you wanted to watch. So I we have a three hour show with 13 minutes of action. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it was very frustrating. So I feel you there, but um, I feel like we're about to dive into your world and we've spent so much time nerding out over other people's that we're just going to pause for a moment right now where we're going to shamelessly shill for the man. Hello everyone. And welcome to Comicsburg population, the edge. I am Marvin Wynn, creator and writer of the edge. We're going to take you on a journey featuring a drug that grants wonderful powers, yet at a high cost. The cost is your life, your sanity, or both. Welcome to The Edge. Find The Edge at theedgecomic.com. All right, so thank you for sticking with us, and thank you, uh, Marvin, for for sponsoring this episode. And now, Doc, we're going to get nerdy with it, all right? So try to control yourself. But um, keep going, please. Question six. <clears throat> Sorry, I had something in my throat. <laughs> You're like, I just. <laughs> I felt like you were trying to cue something else there, JR. This is why you have no game. So, what was your first love, sci fi or fantasy? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good question. I would say sci fi because I would say that. Like everything built up for me from GI Joe, and GI Joe is 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 pretty much a, a sci-fi show. You've got red lasers, you've got blue lasers, you got tanks that blow up for no reason. You've Snake got, eyes, uh, you know. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you got a, a a ninja that doesn't talk. Um, and yes, somehow got, communicates so clearly right, to right. everybody else. <laughs> so uh, the yeah, one thing I hate. The one Sorry. thing I never understood, looking back on it, have you ever noticed that they never hit anybody either? 
Like well, all no, these no. battles going on and nobody's dying. It's just pew pew all over the place with nothing hitting anything except well, for mean, random explosions. Right. So, but that was going to be a thing. So, if you remember when Transformers the movie came out, you had um, Autobots and Decepticons murdering each other. And it was something that you've never seen on an animated show before. So before uh, Robotech. Robotech was my Robotech and Voltron were my first introduction to animated death. Like it didn't that happen is. in the other shows, but all of a sudden Roy Folker's dead. Um, the original um, uh, red, or not the red line, the pink line. No, blue oh, line. blue, blue. He was blue. Died, and you're like, okay, so these people are dying. So then you get the Transformers the movie, and like these, these Decepticons are just blowing Autobots to bits. Everybody dies, yeah, and and it actually. Uh, from the response from parents. So the response to their parents was that, why are you killing these things that these children love? So what ended up happening is once Transformers didn't make the money they thought it was gonna make, G.I. Joe went from being a theater movie to just being on TV and they changed the story because Duke was dead in that movie. Duke was well, dead. <laughs> Transformers specifically, I know one of the guys who helped write it and do it. Mm -hmm. And he was also involved with G.I. Joe. Their entire aim was to kill as many as they yeah. could. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're phasing out the old toys and bringing in the new stuff. So yes. you have to eliminate the, the old ones. And if... Flint really likes to describe himself as the man who made an entire generation cry at once. Yeah. <laughs> so if G.I. Joe would have come first, I'm pretty sure that Snake Eyes, Duke, and all those would be, would be dead. They should have all been dead. Like when they were, like the scene when they show up uh, to the Cobra Law Palace, and they're just getting their asses handed to them. They should all be. They should have all been dead. They captured them. They should have been. They should have been dead right then. Yeah. So the we, uh, the tactics in this. The tactics were a little bit non-existent. <laughs> so you dodged the bullet a little bit. A little bit. So right. what? You, did you want to speak, Jr. Are you going to let me today? That was so nice of you. But no, I was going to remind you, you know, when you get old, you forget things. I didn't want you to forget what question you're on. JR, I'm younger than you are. Eh, nobody knows that, though. All right, <laughs> keep going. Now. <laughs> Brain damaged child. So what was your first memory engaging in speculative fiction? Was it comics? Was it games or cartoons? Uh, I want to say that my first reading experience when I was six years old, because so let's do a rewind. So when I was around six years old, my granddad had me read the, the dictionary. So I read the whole entire dictionary, and then we went over every word in the dictionary. Wow. Uh, the meanings of the words, the sentencing, uh, different use of phrases. So it triggered something to me to, to, to use different things, to use different words for different things when I'm speaking. And then after that, my first book was Frankenstein. Well, wow. you had all the words for Frankenstein. Yes. So book. did you read the full novel or did you read the Reader's Digest versions? That they the were full out? novel. Damn, wow. that's some heavy reading, man. Yeah. yeah. So what he did was, my he had a library in the living room and he took me to, to, to his library and said, pick a book. And I had heard of Frankenstein because of like Lauren Hardy and, and things like that. I've heard of Frankenstein, but and we, we always called the monster Frankenstein. And to that, to that time, it's like, oh, is this about the 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 um 
the guy from Lauren Hardy, the Frankenstein, and he goes, read the book. So I read the book, and I'm like, oh, so the monster doesn't have a name. <laughs> Not Frankenstein, even though for years, like even like cartoons and they say, oh, that's Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. There's Frankenstein Jr. Like, no, he's not Frankenstein. So that, and then my my next book after that was the Bible. I read the Bible. So, so did you, I, go ahead. Is, did your grandfather get to uh, live to see you produce your first book with your whatever comic that was? Yes, yes. Wonderful. Yes. That's good. That's I, I imagine that uh, right there. Yeah, I, I imagine that was a was a moving moment for him then. Yeah. So my my grandfather was a poet. He actually wrote a poem about my my comic. Oh. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Is that something you share or is that private? Um. So it's something that I'm going to have it as part of the book. Um. Soon. So we want to. I want to put some of the stuff that he like some of the wrote. So we actually have a character, uh, later on who is a poet, and some of those poems are going to be part of his uh his is the thing he does. So like, instead of him having inner monologue, he'll have poems. That's, That's cool. really neat. That's amazing. All right. So what is it about speculative fiction that you love as the genre? I, I just think that it's it's the goal, the goal and, and the feeling that you can go anywhere and you can do anything. And there's there's nothing closed off with these stories and you can just you can go to the moon, you can go to Mars, you can be on Earth, you could be underwater. It's just so much involved in it. And it's just so much fun to just be able to invent things, something from nothing. It's I just just I mean, it's just like what I say like, oh, a lot of people is like, I just like having fun with stuff. And this is what, what's fun for me. So this is why I always want to do it. Fun is a good answer. Yeah. So how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre translate or transition into you writing stories? Because let's face it, I mean, for all comic books have pictures and then they're still stories and some of them yeah. are very epic stories. So I was reading X-Men at the time and I had heard about the image thing and they had ads in the, in the book and it was like, oh, the new mutant universe uh by rob lafeld and jim lee and i'm i was i was intrigued like what is this going to be what is well you, I, I thought it was still going to be with marvel and then it was this whole entire new um this new studio and this new product and this brand new thing and i'm and i was i'm reading it and i'm like man to this time like i knew about like kamiko and dark horse and so many other publishers you never knew that there was all you could do all this stuff on your own without this a big corporation or a big studio backing you up. And these guys went out there and they just did their own thing. And I just piqued my interest and was like, man, maybe I can do this kind of stuff. So I started writing then as like as image was starting out. That's when I got my first spark. I'm like, OK, let me see what I can do. And as I always say, is that one day I'll, I'll, I'll actually show and it could be it could be on the. Um, what I was talking about before the uh, the, the series uh, from script to screen, where I talk about or even show some of my older scripts and just show how bad they were, <laughs> and and to show people that like with anything that you're doing, if you're doing art, if you're doing music, if you're a swimmer or a runner or you're a football player, it, you're not going to be perfect at that at start, and you have to the one thing that you always have you have to practice. And you have to learn and you have to take classes on those things or you have to learn from someone else because you're it's not going to be perfect and it's going to sometimes it's going to be really bad and sometimes you you don't ever want anybody to see it but what you want to show is your progression from 
A to Z. And then it's going like I'm throwing some more letters to that alphabet and we're going past Z because you can't have limits and you have to keep going. You have to push yourself and you can't accept no. And you just have to know that it's not how many times you get knocked down is how many times you get back up and you knock the dust off and you keep going. That is solid advice in life, people. So take notes and uh, play back and listen to it again if you need to, all you in the back. So many authors let their own real-life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that you feel like shaped you as a storyteller? It sounds like your grandfather would be one of those. Yes. So uh, there's a lot of stories about, about my granddad. My granddad was not only a poet, he was a, a storyteller. And he used to tell us about how he was this the superhero of, of his neighborhood. And he would tell us that when we would complain about carrying groceries up, he would say that, yeah, I, I carry six, seven, eight bags in my hands and I flipped up the steps. What are you guys complaining about? So it was, it was that kind of thing. These are things that my granddad would say to us, just like just to motivate us to say that, man, we can do this. We can, we don't give up or we don't, we keep trying. And that's one of the things that I, brought into my life and share with other people is that we don't say quit. We don't say can't do this. We don't say it's hard or we just we put our best effort forward. And if you fail, you get up and you and you try again. You can't ever accept failure. You can't ever accept second place or sometimes even first place. Sometimes you want to go beyond first place, even though it might not exist, but you want to always do your best in those. And that's what he, he taught us is that do your best at all times in those situations. You'll feel better about yourself because you didn't, you can't fail from trying. And one is the one thing they say is that you miss every shot you don't take. So it's, it's, it's those kind of things and how he instilled that into us with his stories about him being this great hero that knocked out people one punch. And then my granddaughter, my grandfather was a, was a boxer also. So just talking about how his, things shaped his life and it might not have all been true and it may have been just a little bit over the top, but, but that's what, what, what comics are. It's, it's that stuff that's over the top uh, excitement and adventure. And you're getting into the lives of these, these characters. And sometimes they start to exist for real for you. And sometimes when you're writing the characters, the characters are telling you what should be happening. So it, it's just a, it's a lot of things and a lot of listening to people and just forming ideas from from the from the nether you're just grabbing them out of the air and saying this works this works this works and sometimes things don't work for you you put it aside and maybe it'll work for you later that's yeah <laughs> no that's well, all right you get to follow that doc with the fandom questions i know that's some awesome wisdom right there and uh so now we're going to go into some fun wisdom maybe have you had anybody cosplay or send you any great fan art of one of your characters yet? So we we we've gotten fan art in the past. Uh, right now, I get like I like when I send people books, they send me like postcards thanking me for for uh, for creating this universe. And I people like I, when we go to conventions, people come up and they say, "Man, I can't believe that how good this book is!" And I I can't wait to get to the next issue. I've had people at conventions they like the guy bought issue one. And he said that he went to get something to eat and he read it while he was eating. He's like, all right, what's where are the rest of them? Give me all the rest of whatever else, what else you got. So I've sold nine issues to people at, at one time at, at a show. 
Uh, I've sold nine issues and uh, got somebody to pre-order an action figure. So I'm hoping that the next convention I can get people on board for the Kickstarter. But I've had people come up and say that, man, we, I've been trying to meet you at these conventions. We always miss each other. I, I can't I can't believe we're finally talking. So it's it's really exciting to me. And that, and that gives me more fuel when somebody tells me that they're really enjoying the things that that we're doing. And not only just like sending us fan art, but sharing our work with other people and then getting other people invested in it. So, I mean, it's a it's a lot of fun when people are enjoying it and they're telling you how much it influences them or how much fun they have. Like Walt was was uh, um, was a big proponent of that. And when we first talked and he said, oh, man, it's this book. It was so much because I loved it so much. And I mean, it just piques my interest to do more work and say that, OK, this is going to be my fuel for the rest of the year. <laughs> that this one person enjoyed the book. Hey, you got to do it. And that's awesome. It's wonderful. So what was the first time? What was it like the first time somebody asked for your autograph? Uh, so no, it happened. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it happens at conventions and it was the, the most recent one was the funniest one. Uh, some guy, uh, it was at, oh no, no, this was at a comic shop. So um, I was, we were at a comic shop and we were, we were doing books and one of the guys who worked there came up to me and said, okay, so I need you to sign 15 books. And I said, okay. And he said, now um, I'll give you this the X amount of money. And I said, I'm not charging you for my autograph. That's that's crass. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm never going to do that. And so I signed them. And somebody, some guy came into the store and he's like, um, uh, he was actually talking about the book while I was sitting there. And he goes, you got, you got any more of the edge? And he goes, yeah, not only do we have edge, we got the guy who writes the book right over there. And the guy was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it's just that that kind of feeling you get when like someone enjoys your work and you're able to interact with them. And that's the one of the, the best things about the internet is I'm able to interact with fans and customers. And I tell people all the time, like, feel free to reach out to me. I, I mean, my, my DMs are open. You want to send me a message and tell me how great I am? Or you can tell me I suck. It's fine. I mean, I'm not going to get upset. I'm not one of those people who's going to block anybody for, for saying I suck. I mean, at least you read the book. You pay for it, right? You didn't steal it. Yeah. So um, that's hilarious. Have you had somebody like just randomly walk up and see somebody randomly reading your comic? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you've had people. For comics are really distinctive. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I don't think I've ever walked up on anybody reading the book. Uh, per se. I mean, I've, like you said, I've walked up people talking about it when I, they didn't know, they didn't, they, like, we don't, our faces really out, unless you're watching like YouTube shows and things like that, you never see my face. Yeah. So when you're reading the book and I, it was a, a situation, like again, at, at, at that same shop where some guy came in asking about it and I told the guy, don't tell him who it is. And I walked up to him, I said, hey, I, you like the book, huh? He goes, yeah. He goes, so what about that Marvel Wayne guy? He's a pretty good writer. He goes, yeah, he is really good. I said, well, he's me. So, and it's just the, the surprise you get on the people's faces when they're just like, oh my, it's 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 yeah. like like um like I'm I'm Stephen King or somebody like that. Like I'm just like I'm just a guy that writes books and I'm a personable person. So let's let's have a conversation. What do you want to talk well, about? I think one of the neatest things I had a friend once who is very social when he's at conventions, mm -hmm. but in a day-to-day -day environment, not very social. And so he um, he said that it's the best kind of famous because you go to a con and you get to be famous mm -hmm. and 
people know who you are, but then when you go home, you get to be a normal person and hide. Right. And that's how we put it, and hide. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't have any paparazzi following you around, snapping pictures and going through your garbage. So, I mean, that's that's a plus. Yeah, always a plus. <laughs> no Not really. So, would you say that was your weirdest or funniest fan interaction? I would say, yeah. I mean, I think that the like the the the, that, the weirdest one was the guy. Well, like, he's been like we've been missing each other at like six different conventions over the last three years. <clears throat> And he was just fine. He wanted to, like I want to just shake your hand, and then they wanted to, and like we talked for like like forty five minutes after that. And like every time he sees me now, he's like, oh yeah, hey, Marv. And it's it's and like he can call me Marv because mostly people who know me call me Marv. You never call me Marv before. But I mean, it's just it's just that kind of stuff, and it's just like I said, it gives me fuel, and it makes me want to do better, write more stories, or. Uh, do more with a character that someone likes, but not do too much because we don't. I don't. I don't want ever a character to become more famous than they need to be. That's fair. That's fair. So, speaking of um, your characters, this is where we talk about everything you have written and drawn. So, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? Sure. So, my current uh, body is uh, the Edge. Uh, one through 16 is where I'm at, where we're at right now, with four one shots. So, um, we've been working on this so long, we're so far ahead that um, it actually gave me the opportunity because I'm actually writing four books right now at one time. So, what's what ends, what's happening is, is that I start one thing and then I get an idea and then I jump to something else and then I go back to the other thing and then I get another idea and I go to the other book. And it drives Mark crazy because I'm giving him like pages from one book. And then a couple of days later, he'll get pages from something else. And he, he doesn't complain about it. But I know it drives him crazy where because we're, we're, we're doing so much jumping around because the ideas are flowing. I don't I just want to keep keep the momentum going. So um, I just finished writing issue 17. And like I said, that I'm walking, I'm working on those ones, one shots. Uh, that are actually pieced in to uh, in between the arcs. Uh, most of it is stuff that I had written before that was supposed to be part of those arcs, but didn't. It was like it, the story didn't flow with it in there, so I pulled it out and then made it its own thing. So what what is a one shot for people who aren't uh, huge into um, the comic space? You know, like so, me. <laughs> so a one shot is a one and done book. So it's a single issue. It stops at the end, and then you go on back to your numbered issue. So you're, so just think it, think of it like so. Uh, sometimes with in in Marvel or DC, they'll call it an annual. So something that comes out every year that is either starting or finishing the story as part of another uh, story block. Yeah, like um, one of my favorite. It, it really wasn't more of an anthology, but uh, Louise McMaster Bajol put it together almost as. They were short stories that she'd written mm -hmm. that were in between novels and the right. book series. And so she ended up put piecing them into a novel, but mm -hmm. it was like the character was getting interrogated and it was like, well, let me tell you about what really happened with that. Right. And then, then was the short story. And so, so it's kind of like a one shot's almost like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a tangential self-contained. You don't have to know everything, but if you do know as everything else going on, it's so much more meaningful. Right. I'm sure. 
Right. And I, I'm, I'm considering like gap folks. So it's mm -hmm. like what takes place in between that gap in the story, because the end of the story actually leads into the next issue. So it's uh -huh. like we we're, we're telling the story in issue five and we're like, OK, so this is happening. Now we're going to go back and tell you how that happened. Okay. So for, for those of us who are newbies mm -hmm. like me, is there a place on your website that's like, by the way, here's where here's the order and this one shot goes here and this one goes here yeah so once okay. once everything is is released we'll have that up on the website to say that if you if you want to get more of the story read this before you read this so yeah that'll be that'll be there and we do callbacks um if we if we need in the book itself we'll do callbacks and say that like you do you'll have those little panels it'll say this happened in this issue Okay. I like those because I'm such a completionist. I've learned that I will go through and read them all. And then if so, I, I find one, I'll go back. So that makes this next question easier because obviously then we're here to talk about the edge. Uh, where did you get the idea for this universe? Uh, so what I say is that influenced by uh, X-Men and like the image books. Um, and I think that it, it, it kind of flowed together really strangely for me because the original, when I was originally writing this, it really wasn't about the edge, the drug itself. It was more about the, the strike team and their adventures and things they were going. And it was more in the line with a, with a more straight ahead superhero book. But the longer it went, the more the edge became the focus of the story. So we changed the title because the original title was Silent Strike. And we changed it to the edge because it wasn't just about the team. It became about this whole entire universe of, of different people and how the edge uh, affects them. So, I mean, and, and it actually came up because of, and it's um, something that is is close to me and it was close to my grandparents is because they were diabetic and then I, be, I became diabetic. So it's the edge yeah, is like, our, yeah, that our, our not struggle, but our reliance on something that we have to put into ourselves to keep ourselves going pretty much. I want to say not to kill us. Well, or to die, but. And you have like a 75% chance, unfortunately, since you had two of developing yeah. diabetes. Yeah. I know I have almost a hundred percent chance. Thanks grandma. <laughs> but it, it's okay. one of those things where it, it hit me. I, it, I was really, I was in my year thirties when I was, when I got it. So, and they were, they were at advanced age when they got it too. So it wasn't something that I had from birth. I was just, I was predisposed and I didn't watch for the warning signs. Of it, so. All right. That's part of the motivation I have to, uh, to live healthier because it runs on both sides of my family yeah. as well. Uh, my, my grandfather actually died from complications of the diabetes. So, but uh, we don't want to get too down and out. That's boring. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about some more fun stuff. We're going to talk about some fun stuff. So I'm going to put on the screen, big the screen for the, for those of you get the full effect is this is the art that uh, the art style that we have going on for the edge. So what can you tell us about the, what we're looking at and then like sort of the art style you use because no, I mean, you can tell uh, from this is something Nick Garber taught us, who's our co-host in a comic guy, is every artist sort of has their own signature style that you can sort of read if you know it. Uh, yeah. And so what what are you going for with both the art style and then what are we looking at? 
Well, this is a remember, reminder that the all the artists by uh, Mark Louis. Uh, who, we, his last name is Rukankia. He's from the Philippines, and we call him Mark V because I don't want to ever continuously pronounce his last name because I can't. <laughs> and so the artist is by Mark, and then the colors are by uh, a guy. His name is King Bola. He's um, one of the uh, primary colors on the book. So, and they say that um, I would say that he's influenced by like a lot, lot of '90s art styles, late '80s, Jim Lee. But he's got that distinctive Joe uh, Madaria style. And it's really amazing that when you mix his style with the, with the colors that we have, and it, everything just pops out. So it, and here we have the strike team going up against uh, uh, our lead antagonist, Revenant. Uh, that is a guy getting his uh, face burned off there. Um, and then, <laughs> the reign of chaos so the character in the bottom uh right is chaos and then his team is the rain so it's kind of a double meaning so our second story arc is actually called the reign of chaos which is like i said double meaning it's the reign of chaos and then his team is the rain so the reign of chaos so and we know like that it. revenant's ability is to duplicate himself uh from a single drop of blood so that's why there's two of them there um getting the business so I, when I think of art, I'm used to thinking of all of it lock, stock, and barrel as one person. So, but with comics, the person that does the line drawings of the art and the person that adds the color are often not the same. Uh, so, how much of a difference do you think the actual colorist makes on the art style? I mean, is he just complementing what the artist is drawn, or does he add his own flavor? Do you think he, being the generic general, you know, broad speaking, he right. So I, I think each person adds their own unique um, flares to this. And once you, when you get to the coloring stage, uh, the colorist is going to be the one that's going to add not only depth, but pop. So in something like this, um, when the artist is drawing it, he's not, you're, he's not thinking about fading the background and making sure that the, all the characters in the foreground are popping out towards the reader. Um, he's not really um, thinking about, well, how is the, the lighting going to affect uh, of character if he has something, a green ball in front of his face? Uh, how is the lighting going to affect someone who has energy protruding from their hands or if they have lightning flashing around them or they have glowing swords? So it's it's all about, it's a whole entire package together. And when their art is being done and that colorist can come in and, and complement everything that the artist put onto the page and make it even like make it sing and make that and make it a, a whole entire piece and that fall together. It, it's just, it's almost like magic. Because when you look okay. at the visuals, you don't really, you don't really see, you, you, you have an idea, but you don't see until the colorist puts those colors down and it, and depending on the colorist, it could be something really different each time they do it. So is there a, a specific style that you try to keep with the edge for the art style? Uh, yeah, yes and no. But I like to say Mark is the primary artist and he is the so far the only one who has done interior page. We've had different people do uh, do covers, but Mark is, pre is, is pretty much our A number one when it comes to interiors. Uh, we may bring in someone to do a few side things, but like in the, in the main book, it's always going to be Mark. Okay. I, I mean, I'm digging the art. So the... Uh, next question is yours, Doc. Stop drooling over the pretty pictures. It's time to do your job. 
I enjoy it. I am doing my job. Doing I was thinking, is not what we pay you for. <laughs> JR. That's it. I'm no, cutting your pay in half. All right. You're, you're just <laughs> docking your pay today. JR, I make twice as much as you. That's okay. Your mother <laughs> likes me better. So moving on to the elevator pitch, what would be your 30 second pitch for, I know we normally say this novel, but what's your 30 second pitch for this Kickstarter? Sure. So uh, the edge is a drug uh, that grants um, special abilities uh, at the cost of either your life or your sanity. So our lead character Revenant was a former assassin for the US government who decides that he no longer wants to work for the government. So he's gone rogue. He is now out into the world with the secrets of the edge. They send a strike team to either eliminate him or bring him back in. Uh, chaos ensues. And we don't really tell anybody who the hero or the villain of the story is because everything's a shade of gray and everyone has their own motivations. Okay. So what is it that you think of all the comics? Because there are many comics. Yeah. Makes your series, The Edge, special and unique within uh, the crowded field? Uh, because it's, it's, an, it's an independent voice and we're not beholden to anyone else but ourselves as far as telling a story. Uh, we can go as deep as we want into mental health. We can go as deep as we want into drug use. We can go as deep as we want into being a fanatic. Uh, and we're not going to upset anyone. We're not going to cross lines of telling people what they can or cannot do or say about books. We just want to have fun and just generate and bring back the things that I loved about comics in the nineties was it was a lot of fun going on in the books and a lot of fun, a lot of energy. And it wasn't just trying to tell somebody how you feel about something. So this is really your entire thing is about the pure enjoyment of what makes comics great. And yes. I think that's amazing. So what tropes do you think the edge really kind of plays with? Cause I know, I know we've talked about it before and I thought it was fascinating when you talked about some of the tropes of just how we look at mental health, but also how we look at medications and drugs. Mm -hmm. So and what else? We, I said, we have a lot of that. And then we have that, we have the God's thunder and they're, they're fanatics who, um, hate anyone who has abilities. doesn't matter what side they're on. They want to take, they want to eliminate them all. So we're, we're playing with a lot of, of surface level politics. We're playing with a lot of what happens when you go too far. So some of our characters go too far and they start to regret it because it, things progress so rapidly in this universe and that your, your goal is that I want to bring all these people who special abilities together. We want to be able to be safe and not have the attack by other people who don't like us. But then again, I'm creating an army of people and I have no control over what they do. And once I set them, set them forth to do things and I'm not telling them don't do this and they start doing it, then I, I'm, I'm a victim too of their situation and I'm also responsible for them. And then it, it falls to him and he's like, holy crap, what have I done? Okay. So we've had you here before to talk about the edge just in general when you were doing um when you were rebranding and, and uh, updating your story arcs and such so but now you're doing a kickstarter so what is this kickstarter what is different about this what are you doing with the kickstarter so the kickstarter is for the volume one trade so that's issues one through four uh currently the trade is 130 pages 
So it's going to be issues one through four, and then there's going to be some previews of what's coming in the future. So uh, it's like an omnibus then? Uh, right. Somewhat, yes. So, I mean, I, was, I would okay. probably call it more of a long trade than the omnibus because it's generally an omnibus is multiple story arcs. So it's it, like, it's maybe like 10 books possibly. And this is going to be four okay. books and then extras. Okay. So it, it, it's going to be that. So we actually have a, we, we made a deal with Coffee on Comics out of uh, Florida. So we're going to have an edge blend of coffee as part of the Kickstarter. So you'll be able to get uh, the edge coffee. So you'll be able to read the edge while you sip the edge. Ooh, I love coffee. We love coffee on this podcast, just to let you know. <laughs> now JR is going to grill you about what kind of coffee. So what, what kind of roast did you use? It's 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 a medium. Okay. And uh, what kind of medium roast is it? Do you know or is that top secret? And we gotta find uh, out. So it, it's it's gonna be one of those things where we want people to like to find out when they get the bag. So it's a it's a it's a trade secret. Okay. So we That's actually surprise us. Yeah. So we actually are going to do a second one uh, i think we're just called, we're just going to call it revenant and it's going to be a um a special bean so we didn't have enough time to get something special so we're going to get something special for the revenant one. so is it going oh. to be available for those who use like the k-cup well, style uh i was going to say the revenant could be decaf because mm -hmm. decaf is evil <laughs> this is true. yeah these are these are going to be beans they're, they're beans so <laughs> Uh, Coffee on Comics actually does. They do beans, they do uh, uh, pre-ground, and they do K cups. So we're going to okay. we're going to do all the same. Okay. So so what else is going on with this Kickstarter? You because in the pre-show you were telling us some of the big plans you had. So this right. would be a good time to tell us because I'm I'm I want to be nerdy with all the things. <laughs> sure. So as part of the Kickstarter, we are going to be giving away um, in one of the tiers uh, four subscription four yearly subscriptions to Heroes Live TV. Heroes Lives TV is a brand new streaming service that deals with independent comics, independent shows, uh, independent everything uh, encompassing comics, music, and, and other things. So as part of that, uh, we're actually working on a series uh, that will be on, on that channel uh, called From Script to Screen, where I'm going to go over the whole entire gamut of what it takes to create a comic book, uh, to publish a comic book, to market a comic book, and then get it in the stores. So it's going to be sort of like a documentary where I'm going to go over the, the all the blood, sweat, and tears um, that people don't know about when making comics and how how much of a chore it is uh, to spend six months to a year to make something that's 24 pages. And uh, you've got more. So when I get a novel, unless I've got a co-writer or I'm writing in someone else's universe, I come up with the idea, I sit down, I write it out, I have people, you know, maybe do some checks for me, send it to an editor, it's ready to go with a cover. Yours is a lot more of a cooperative process than most, yes. you know, traditional authors have to deal with. So what's that, you know, a little bit of your process like that? Obviously, you know, we want people to go watch the documentary, so so don't give all the trade secrets, but just right. maybe a hint. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the like, the, the, or the overarch. So, I mean, it's basically, I, I sit at my desk, and I try to come up with an idea. So what's happening at the beginning of the story? What's happening at the end of the story? Uh, what's happening with the characters? What kind of trouble am I getting into? What kind of obstacles are I putting in front of them? So then I script out. So generally, I am not scripting to a set page, page count. Like I go over 24 pages. Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes it's 32 pages. Sometimes it's more than that. 
then I, once I've got the script all ready to go, I do second checks. I send it out for people to look at and review. Uh, then they come back to me with their ideas or if, or if they think anything changed, I do my edits and then I send it to Mark for art. So uh, Mark does the art. Um, I generally let him run freelance if he needs to. So um, if there is a panel description that he thinks will work better, I let him change it. Uh, art comes back. I review the art with the script again, and I check for to make sure the dialogue can fit into the panels. So sometimes I add more or, or take out less some of the dialogue. So sometimes I have to rewrite some of the script because the dialogue doesn't fit in the boxes, and I have to pretty much try to figure out how to, how to for, get the story tell that I want to tell if I have to start removing dialogue. So generally that works in with better with Mark because like we're on the same wavelength. So he's telling his story with just artwork while I'm telling the story with, with dialogue and words and panels and, and descriptions. Uh, once we are square with that, it goes to the colorist with the script so that the colorist knows what they need to emphasize or not emphasize in the panel. After the colorist comes back, we do our, our next review with the script and the artist and, and with Mark to make sure that everything's working. It then goes to the letterer, who then does his checks. Uh, we get the um, proof back for the letters. We go over the script again, making sure that the dialogue works and there is anything that's flubbed or there's any misspellings. Uh, once we, we get back to him, he does the finishes. Uh, then we send to the printer. So normally we would show you on the bottom of the screen, dear listener, uh, what the link was for the Kickstarter, but this is not live yet. We're pre-recording this, so we are ready when he is. So in the show notes, you will have um, a link to the Kickstarter. So I encourage you to go check it out. He will have all of the tiers, all of the stretch goals spelled out for you there. Um, so in the pre-show, you talked a little bit about you were looking at like uh, action figures and some of the uh, board games and such. So is that going to be part of this Kickstarter or is that more plans for the future? So the action figure is actually up. We were doing, we did initial pre-orders first. And so it's up on our store. Uh, it's a GI Joe scale uh, action figure of our character Blaine, uh, the character in red on the left here in the, in the image. Uh, we are working with uh, Loose Collector. Uh, they recently did uh, a Kickstarter for their own um, Dr. J I mean, Mr. Hyde uh, figure, but they also did Critter. They did um, Lady Death for um, Purgatory Comics, uh, Brian Palato. Uh, they did um, a, a Purgatory character, Hell Witch, and a few other ones. So they're deep into the indie market of doing action figures right now. So uh, this is their first three inch figure. I don't know if we're going to do any more three inches. I think that. Uh, since most of the market has moved on to six inch, I think we're going to move up to the six, six inch figures after this one and then continue from there with all the other characters. Um, so we, we've talked about doing the board game before. Uh, it's one of those things that, that goes, it starts and it stops. We do have uh, a few people in, involved in that. Uh, our good buddy Walt is, is, has been uh, working on that for, for, a while, for a while now. So hopefully we'll get that out soon. But I mean, we're just trying to cross markets. So we're looking at People who read comics will play games. People who read comics will, will buy action figures and then get those people from those other markets into the comic. So in, the, in, in each one of these situations, we're going to have a comic book ready to go as part of this thing. So the action figure is going to come with a comic. The, um, the games and everything else will come with comics also. Okay. I, so A card game would probably work really well too, though. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, we're, like, we're like, we're, 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 we want to test the whole entire thing. There's all different kinds of games. Yeah. If you need somebody for gaming, I play board games. No, let's not lie. You don't have any friends to play with. Shut up. That's why I bought a Switch. I can play it on the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when you talk about games, like, you know, you, people think board games, like, you know, along the lines of like a Monopoly or something like Risk mm -hmm. or whatever. Are you looking at like role-playing games? Because I know a certain Walt, uh, who we're all friends of, uh, Doc calls him Grandpa Walt. I just Grandpa Walt's amazing. Yeah. He actually has a system designed for superheroes, and it's almost like you could plug and play with yep. your characters if someone yep. wanted to, to gamify this. Right. Well, like I said, that we've, we've been talking about it for a while, and, and hopefully soon we'll be able to get that completed and get that out. So, yeah. So, we're working with Walt on 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 that also. So, yeah. He's the man. Okay. So, we want to work with the man. So, so here's... The... Go ahead, Doc. I, I was going to ask my favorite question about back alleys. So real quick, while we still we're still thinking about the um, the action figures, are those more designed for like a collectible market, or are you designing those with the intention of like people having their kids play with your characters, like we used to back uh, in the day when we brutalized GI Joes? So, and it's funny that you say that, and I'm I'm going to go on the, on a tangent real quick. So we actually were talking about that on another show I was on last week about how collectibles have destroyed the action figure market. So people don't buy toys to play with them. They buy them to collect them. And a you know, one of the guys was talking about that he bought his son a Spider-Man comic book. And the first thing his son asked him, how much is it worth? And I think I don't, I, that's not a good thing, I don't think. I think that toys should be played with. And these, these toys are being designed for both the collector and someone who wants to play with it. So I will encourage you to take the figure out of his package and beat the hell out of it. Because that's what I used to do. I used to take my GI Joes in the backyard and we used to torture them. We used to throw them there. We used to bury them in the dirt and and dig them up, and they'd be all scratched up and dirty. And that's what they were for. That's but, what I did with my GI Joes. But if you have, you have to also remember that back then those figures were three dollars. That same figure now is twenty dollars. So I yeah. think that with the market, the, the the pricing in the market changed the way that people view these things as not being something that a toy to play with, but as a collectible. So. It's 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 going to be a little pricey because it's an it's an independent market, but we want you to play with it. So we're we'll, we'll figure something out as far as that. So maybe we'll do we did Legos, little mini Legos too, and those are all all gone. So I have one left that is mine, and no one else can have it. But we did the Legos. And maybe we'll do more Legos, and those will be like ten dollars, and we can get those in people's hands and say, here, play with this, and do what the hell you want with it. Uh, based around besides a thirty dollars figure that you don't want to take out the box and play with it. See, I let my son take everything out of the box, but he also likes to make stop motion videos with them. Yes. See, I mean, you're that's still playing with it. You're not putting it. <laughs> like I said, Granted, uh, I did tell him he couldn't take his um, like super fancy VMAX holographic foil card to school to give to a friend. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Put your Pokemon card back. Yep. So, so I, I don't want I don't want action figures to turn into knickknacks to go into grandma's cabinet that you're not allowed to touch. <laughs> That's what they pretty much become, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so you've mentioned right now that you're you've got 18 issues out and you've got four more you're writing right now. So is there a definite endpoint of this um, this universe that you've got planned out? Are you going to just keep the universe going and the characters interchange as the life cycles as they do? Like, what's your plan for the larger universe? So, what are people buying we were, into? 
I would, when I was originally writing this story, I did have an end in mind. And I, we started having so much fun with it that we decided to keep it going. So one of the stories we deal with with the mystic character, that's the character with the swords, is that other people have held those swords in the past. And they start to, they can, they're somewhat influencing him through the swords. So I, we, we liken it more to like to the, um, the uh, Black Panther after, afterlife where all the Black Panthers are there for to give you advice and things like that. They're giving him advice, but they're kind of pushing their advice on him. So we have, a, that's what this, one of the, the stories is gonna be about. So this allows us to a little bit play more in the fantasy realm instead of sci-fi, because once we tell people we're, who originally held these swords, they'll be like, oh, oh we're going there, huh? I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going there. We're King going Arthur. all the way there, yes. So JR skipped ahead and I didn't get to ask my favorite question. Mm -hmm. No, this was the ad hoc point. Uh, so so no. you're good. You're... No, that question is where do you see the series going next? Is there more is further along? <laughs> oh, I forgot that one. You hush. I'm still right. Oh, bad. I'm still right. I, I don't care. Hi. He's JR. He can't count. Um, <laughs> so if your characters met you in a dark alley and they knew who you were, how do you think you'd fare on that one? I'd be eliminated. So issue number two and issue number five, we take the character Bolt, uh, the character in the uh, middle left. We take him through the ringer. Uh, just as a little, little hint, we take his powers away from him and then put him in a position to get it, the, the, do something to get his powers back. This will not only affect him, but the rest of the team. So he wouldn't like me very much for what I'm, for what I'm about to do to him. And I'm going to do, so what I say is that I put, I put the characters through the grinder. And we do it to all of them, and we and we want to see how they come out on the other end. Uh, all of them are not going to come out of it unscathed, and it may make a couple of them quit. I really hate it when all the characters are always like they go through hell and they're they're just fine, and that's yeah. not really <laughs> how it works. It's, it's it's not even going to be even close. <laughs> so uh, I look forward to that, and that makes me feel like I'm a mean human being for saying it, but I'm okay with being me. Right. So you'll you'll start you'll start to notice the physical changes in the bulk character as we as it goes along as he as he changes like because he's the youngest on the team as he not only as he becomes more of an adult, but as he changes as he's hiding something from the team and it's not going to go well when they find out it's not going to go well for him. Or them, or anyone else is around him when it when it happens. Isn't that how it normally happens when you keep a secret and it comes out? Yeah. Just saying. So the, don't keep secrets from your team. Isn't is there? Is not going to work. No, Jr. tried to keep that. He can't count secret, but <laughs> we figured it out. Yeah, I mean, it's like so, it's like the zombie movies. All there's always that guy that gets bit and doesn't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. They always get found out eventually. So is there any, you mentioned some people might want to quit. Uh, is there like, if they stop taking the drugs, do they pause the effects? Can they walk it backwards? Or once the changes happen, is it permanent? So most of the characters are unaware that they've been dosed. Oh, oh wow. That's dark. Yes. So they are unaware of the consequences of these abilities. Which is why, as I said before, is that why they they, they don't want Revenant secrets to be known. He knows, but he's not telling anybody because he's a jerk. 
So well, I imagine that reveal is gonna gonna ruffle some feathers in this universe. Yes, yes very much. Because the person that leads the team knows, and he ain't he's not telling them. And then we'll we'll get into why he didn't, he's not gonna tell them also. That will be interesting reading. That, so is, that... is a uh, pretty hefty twist right there, man. So remember what I said about that he formed a strike team to go after Revenant. Right. Is that something you've already written or is that in the future? That's that's something that that's, that's going to come down the line. I mean, we we hint at it a few times and you you think you you, you look at the characters and you're going to like so why are they not mentioning that if it happened right in front of their face and they're not even saying anything? So there's things, there's other things going on there that, so why does that character see this thing and they never talk about it? I wonder why. We shall see. Okay. So have you ever, uh, when you are writing these, given yourself twists that you surprised yourself even? And obviously you're going to have to vague book this one because we don't want spoilers, yeah. but have you ever been writing and you're like, ooh, that's dark and twisted. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. So it happened with the mystic like when I was talking about with the mystic character that it happened because it actually happened because Mark he made a comment about we were talking about something else and he said what about what if we did this and I'm like holy crap I wrote that into the story and didn't play on it and now I'm going, I didn't play on it so it was something that was there and we did I didn't really recognize it was there until he mentioned it yeah I'm always surprised at the unintentional things people pick up on. So like the secondary characters that the author was like, literally they were there for stage direction to turn the plot a different direction. They were mm -hmm. like in, inconsequential and those characters resonate with people. And you're like, then you got to grab the tiger by the tail and try to hold on and <laughs> ro rope that character in. Right. It's sort right. of amazing. That, that, that's what so, happened with Revenant. He became popular. <laughs> people love the Revenant character. And I'm like, man, I don't really want you to like this guy. He's a jerk. But then you that have happens. To, that happens in real life too with real yeah. people sometimes. It's, I mean, it, it's it's. I almost look at it like the almost like the Gambit, Deadpool, and Harley Quinn effect. So these are characters you're not supposed to like, and people start to like them. So what do they do? They 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 want to put them in everything, but then the character becomes overblown, and you're like, all right, I'm sick of them now. So yeah. I, you, I have to almost do the opposite with the character of instead of pushing him out more, I have to push, pull him in and then use him sparingly. So we are going to give him a one shot. Um, and in this one shot, he's telling his story out of order. So he's telling like the end, the beginning, the middle, and all of it's jumbled up because his head is all jumbled up and he's lying about things. So he's actually telling the story to one of his clones and the clone pretty much comes out and calls him out and says, dude, what are you talking about? That never happened. I was there. What, you, what is this? He goes, and Revenant just says, it sounds cool. So I'm going to tell it to people. <laughs> wow. I, I, I like that though. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of, kind of deep. So have you that's ever noticed this? I've noticed with, you know, just with the fiction in general, and I don't know if this translates over to the comic book world, but, you know, you try to write a villain mm -hmm. and the, the trope is everybody's a, a hero in their own story. So you try to write villains that are relatable, but still make them evil. And you do too good at the relatable part and not good enough at the evil part. And so you have people rooting for the bad guys. Uh, some of it, I'm sure, is just nihilism. But right. uh, do you see that in the comic books? Like, I mean, how many joke people are jokingly Team Vader, right? Like, and Darth yeah. Vader is supposed to be the bad guy. I, I mean, see that in, 
And I, I think that it's one of those things where someone would say that Joker and Harley Quinn is, is a relationship goal. Yeah, yeah. for abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was something that was happening during um, uh, what, what was the latest movie they were in together? Suicide Squad. Yeah. And people were saying that, man, I wish I had somebody like Joker. I'm like, what in the world? He electrocuted her in that movie. <laughs> so, and it's like they have like Valentine's Day's cars with Joker and Harley Quinn. I'm like, what is, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on in our minds that people think this is a good thing? And that, that's one of those like, with the, like I said, with the Harley Quinn character is they separated her from Joker and they gave Joker a new uh, girlfriend. And then now uh, Harley Quinn is uh, a member of the Batman family. I'm like, uh, well, I don't know what. And then you, and then the same thing with X Men. Like Juggernaut is an X Man. I'm like, uh, what? No. And I, and I don't do that with Revenant. I don't try to make anything he, like anything he does, look like it's a good thing. But when you're playing in those shades of gray, and we're not really saying he's a villain, we're continuously showing him doing villainous things. But then we do that with the other characters too, because, like I said, the, the whole entire book is about how do I survive this. And sometimes when you're trying to survive, you're, you do things that aren't above board. And sometimes you get away with it and sometimes you get caught. And Revenant always gets caught because he doesn't care that anyone knows he does these things. So one of the things that he does in his own in his one shot is he just kills people for no reason. Like we have we have a panel of him sitting in it, he's like sitting in a transport plane, and he's sharpening his knife, saying it's not that's not sharp enough with a pool of blood under his feet. Because he just killed some people because he felt like it. He had to test the sharpness of the blade. I mean, yeah, it know. wasn't sharp enough because that he was just still sharpening it after he had killed all these people. So I, I mean, mean, I, I guess I, 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 sorry. I was gonna say that's a little dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's it, is that we we want to play in those in those in those areas of this character because he's not a good he's not a good dude at all about anything. Like he just kills because he it's like it it jacks him off, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so do you think that given your art style is so bright and colorful and it pops so much going to those dark themes, did you ever consider going grayscale? Uh, no, I think, I think what we usually do is we darken those pages. So you'll see like in issue two, when we're, when we're doing over, um, a little bit of Bolt's origin, we do those, we do those things a little more, a little darker, a little bit more, um, not on the nose, but trying to get those emotions out of you as we, we try to explain who this character is and where his powers came from and how, how he's just sitting on a lot of anger. Um, but he, I mean, he's a teenager, he's a young guy and he's been through a lot in his, in his, in his years and he hasn't been able to fully express those things because he's a team of, I'm not saying more of adults, but people with, with other special abilities, he doesn't want to look like the weakling. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the universe and the, the the drugs and how they affect you. Was there anything else about the universe that you you think people need to know to understand these stories, or, or have we covered it? So um, the rain the rain characters, and we're going to talk about the character in pink uh, the, on the bottom left here, uh, Vault. So firstly, all of our all the characters who are are official members of the rain are named after fallen angels. Um, so we've got. Uh, Azale, we've got um, Vol, we've got Celios and Rahab. 
So the Vol character, her costume is a living dormant creature. So mm. we've, we've got these things going on that, like, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but her, her costume is very unique in that, is that it's a creature that's uh, it's living, but it's, it's in a dormant status right now. That's okay. All right. That is not what I expected you to say. <laughs> Have you figured out? I mean, obviously you can't tell us because no spoilers, yeah. but do you know what the creature is going to become? Yes. And and we'll I'll just say right now that the there are similar things going on with the other members of the ring. Her hers is just more outward because we wanted we wanted to give her that unique look uh on her costume. So we we were we were talking and we said, Yeah, so it's this thing here is her costume and cool, let's go. <laughs> so so do you throw a lot of capes in there? Because I don't really see any here, but you know, people think capes when they think superheroes iconically. So we do have a character that will be showing up. Like, like I was saying before, is that whenever I try to seem like I'm trying to write something that's not the edge, it becomes the edge. So we have a character called Sigma, who is he in, he is pretty much our Superman archetype, but he has PTSD and he refuses to fight. So he's been a superhero for 45 years, and he can he can no longer ball his fist up. He can't do it anymore. He's been in too many battles. He saved the universe. He saved the earth. He's defeated the villains. He's done what he needed to do with the villains. And now he's done. He, he, does, he doesn't want to put the costume on. He doesn't want to fight. He's just he's just sick of it. He, it just doesn't, he doesn't want the blood on his hands anymore. Okay. That would be an interesting. Is he going to get a one shot? Um, that's still in the planning stages and we're still in the planning stages of how we're going to introduce it. We have a, we have an idea of how we want to introduce the character, but we're, it's, just, it's going to be a really slow burn with that character because of the, the situation that we put him in. I want it to go very slowly as we slowly introduce him and then the show why he's the way he is. Okay. So we know every literary universe has their own consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. Well, the good ones, anyway. And the ones that aren't consistent, the readers or reviewers always tell you, no, 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 that's not possible because blah, 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 blah. Like, I can tell Fair you. Universe. Doc, be nice. But so, uh, so what sort of tech and or magical abilities can we expect in this universe? So we, uh, and it'll be kind of a, like, I'm going to go as far as I can. So we actually go back to the stages of magic and say, magic doesn't exist, it's the edge. Okay, that is neat. Doc, it's one of your favorite questions. You get all the good ones. I do, it's because I am meaner than you. <laughs> so um, of everything in your universe, what would you say, this is what I'm going to take and I'm going to have it be real, at least for me? Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, we like to stump our authors. I don't want the edge to be real because it's 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 not a good thing. It's bad. So I, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the swords, because like I say, the, the swords have a lot of history. And once we show the people who have wielded them before, so we've got like knights, we've got pirates, We've got uh, sword ladies. We've got a lot of things going on there that 
oh yeah, it's going to like open this whole entire, the open this can up and it, it's going to lead down a, a whole different path for, for the mystic character as we, as we whip him into shape. Cause you see that his, in his original costume, he's, he's wearing armor, like, like he, I'm a knight. And then he turns into more like of a samurai ninja type character. And, and then it just progresses from there as he is, I don't want to say he's possessed by these swords, but it, they're certainly influencing his his demeanor and the way that he wants to present themselves. So I think the swords would be where, where I, would, I would say. So my next question is typically, how would you abuse that if you had it for daily use? <laughs> so we've got these swords that are unbreakable, that don't don't chip when they hit something. They can cut through almost anything, and they can shoot energy blast. Hmm. They do a lot with that. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't really we haven't really even explored everything these swords can do because he doesn't know. So until the character knows, like the, the like the reader doesn't know what, what these things can do. So I mean, it, it, it can have other abilities that that uh, we're not even aware of yet. So I don't know. I mean, those swords could be pretty useful uh, tools in, in the real world. I'm reminded of that scene. <laughs> I'm reminded of that scene on Indip I was at Armageddon where they're about to go up and land on the asteroid, and they ask them what they want from the president, and the guy just looks at him and goes, "I'm never paying taxes again." <laughs> I can imagine that's what I would do with that sword. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to ever pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Doc. You get to ask him about the aliens and fantastical creatures if, you, if you're brave enough. Like we know I am. Okay. So you've already told us that there's one really amazing creature, but are there more fantastical or alien creatures in your universe? Yes. So we have, and I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to our our Deep Space Nine thing. So if you remember uh, the Jim Hadar, yeah. So we have similar type uh, creatures called we call them imps. So you know uh, that's another biblical reference. Uh, if people want to look that up, um, and they are foot soldiers for a group. I'm not going to uh, say who they are right now, but. Um, they are who they send when things get like kind of out of hand. So like I said before, that we're going to go backwards in time and show more of the fantasy stuff. And these these are who comes when they want to put something down. So if someone, if something's becoming more than it needs to be or someone, or there's a revolution of some kind, they come and put them down. So they work in kind of stages. So you've got your regular foot soldiers, and then if they survive, they get elevated and um, up and get more weapons. So then there's, there's I think there's four stages you can become to become a, an elite. So if they survive a mission, they get elevated into uh, into status. And it's like the Jim Hadar, they're bred for combat. So did you use, you said it was a biblical reference. Did you use that to kind of guide how these creatures are and how they look mm -hmm. or were you, it wasn't more star trek driven or what i think a little bit of both i think there you you'll see like there's a little bit of jim hadar reference in in their design and a little bit in, in their the way they their facial things but i mean it's like i we just grab a lot of stuff so we use like like i said the elms were like i would like people to go and read it and and figure out what they are yeah, that is a fair answer that yeah. is a very fair answer sir 
So, I want people, I, like when I want to, so I want people to look things up and say, oh, that's why he did that. Yeah. So M. Encouraging education is always a good thing. Yes. <laughs> Do some research. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, you were inspired biblically, biblically in some of your, your creature creation. So are we going to see organizations like the Illuminati, which people associate with that, even though maybe they shouldn't? So uh, that's where our our buddies, uh, God's Thunder. So that's G-O-D-S uh, apostrophe. I mean, the apostrophe comes in and comes into play. They are, man, I, <laughs> it's so hard to talk without, without spoiling things. Well, can um, you can just say, hey, this is a spoiler. I'm not going to give it to you. So they 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 know what's going on. They know about the edge um, for re for some reason. Uh, well, I'm not going to say how, but they get involved in, into into the story and they have their own agents of of ripping and tearing things up. Okay. Um, all right. So they're going to have to read all the things to know all the answers. And mm -hmm. um, if you do get uh, some conspiracy theories, dear listener, uh, once you read all of his things and you want to discuss it when we post this live uh, i'm sure he will like to laugh and not answer you because he doesn't want anyone else not to read it but uh but you could always message him directly as well because he does have his contacts in the show notes so doc before we uh we wrap this up did you have anything else to ask him about this uh glorious artwork in the comic that no i really enjoy it okay so uh, um, what about you um marvin was there anything that you wanted to tell us that we didn't ask before we wrap this up uh, no, I think I think I think we talked a lot, and I mean, I I just I just want people to get out here, and I mean, not just this book, but the indie comic book market is an amazing thing right now, and you've got every genre being covered. I mean, we know that Marvel and DC have done superheroes a lot, but people are doing superhero and they're doing things differently, and they're doing things the way they want to do them, and there's no no one over their shoulder telling them, hey, you can't do that. So, so for, what would be a good way for our fans to encourage the indie market? Not just with, I mean, obviously backing your Kickstarter is a great start, mm -hmm. but um, is it going and harassing their local comic book store and going, hey, look, these are really amazing. You need to carry them. What's like the next way for them to help right. get that? So there, I think it's a, it's a kind of a multi-pronged attack. So um, we actually, well, like I said, I was actually talking about this before. I want, I would challenge everyone to take a child, um, anyone under the age of 13, and take them to a comic shop and introduce them to these books. And then tell the comic store owner, you need to order uh, X indie book and you get these, and um, not order so many of these Marvel DC books. Because what's happening right now is that the entire comic market is basically people over the age of 30. And I have you, noticed you have to you have to reinvigorate the market and you have to get new people into this market. I don't care how you do it. I don't if they like Fortnite, there are comic books about Fortnite. There's toys about Fortnite. Get them involved in the in the in these amazing stories and get people reading again because I I, I don't like the idea of this continuously. So my, uh, my son, actually, my oldest actually reads, but he reads manga. And I asked him why he didn't read comics. And he said, because Americans tell stupid stories in comic books, like talking about Marvel and DC, which is what, right. you know, people think of when they think comics. Exactly. So it's, it's one oh, of those perceptions you're going to have to change. 
Right. And that and that's the one thing that we're trying to break up. And I'm saying is that that's where we're doing this book festival. We want to try to capture those people who used to read comic books a long time ago and fell out of them because the stories were you're pretty much repeating the same stories over and over again. And the characters never grow or they never they never grow up. They never they never. Yeah. Progress. It's always the same thing. I think that's one of the things that I always kind of like bothered me about comics is they're like, oh, look. Peter Parker never gets, just as an example, Peter mm -hmm. Parker never gets really much past, like, 25. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, we're going to reboot the character. I'm like, just stop rebooting <laughs> the character and just complete the freaking character. Right. I, I think the, the one of the worst things they did to Peter Parker was to break up that marriage. I think that, that kind of that kind of took the character backwards. I mean, the character, you have to progress the character. I mean, just like Superman well, and Loki. Marvel and DC seem to do this with all of them. They're like, oh, well, we'll just reintroduce and redo this character. And like, I, I have suspicions on why they do that. Why they, they do it, mark it works in itself and people go out and buy it. But it doesn't. It's easier it doesn't. to tweak or do this new spin on an already standing character than to create a new character. Well, part of it is they're, they're marketing on nostalgia. I would say, at least with regards to comics, it doesn't work because their sales are going through the floor uh that's why there's been they've been saying the the end is nigh for comic books for about the last 10 years probably maybe sooner i don't know but um i think the other part of that is just an ip thing if they mm -hmm. hire you to write another i will call them super was it uh spider-man story you're writing in their ip they own all of it now if they hire you to write another superhero and you create the next big thing then they owe you more royalties and they don't want to split the profits. So it's about the IP holder trying to keep the purse strings, uh, that fiscal right. profit loop close to them. Right. They and, don't want to and, share. And the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want another image. You don't want another image revolution. You don't want your top talent to leave and create their own thing. So that's why that you keep you keep artists or writers and writers and artists moving through different books. So then they can't they can't get a foothold and, be, and do this in the whole entire 200 issue run. And then they're like, oh, I'm famous now. So let me just skate over. Yeah. So uh, speaking of, we Doc asked about the, and you mentioned local comic book stores. Before mm -hmm. we let you go, can you tell, like, where all can people buy your stuff? How, how do they acquire indie comics? So our books are available in local comic shops. We are, we are starting more of a more direct uh, to store thing. Uh, you can get the books online on our website. So that's the edgedcomic.com, which is currently pointing at our Kickstarter page. So um, if you are looking to get anything before the Kickstarter, we do have a uh, SWID page. So it's the edgedcomic.swid.com. Uh, um, so up on the store right now, I've got issue one, two, three, and four in stock. The Kickstarter will have different covers. Uh, we actually have a hollow foil and a silver foil upgrade um, to some of the covers also. Oh, neat. So when I say that comic shops, comic shops, comic shops, uh, we need to save comic shops also because uh, just this past couple of weeks, uh, com three comic store stores closed and a local shop here is no longer doing new books except for our stuff. Wow. That's, that's sad. Yeah, they're so, not doing that. They don't want to date that like the diamond thing is not working out for them ordering Marvel, DC and whatever. No one's interested. So this is why I say I challenge you take take these children to these stores, 
get them interested in these books. And it's fine to, if they if they want manga. That's fine. Um, that manga helps the store too. But try to introduce them more into more indie books instead of the the sixty year old history or seventy year old almost seventy year old history of Spider Man, where they reference things back then. And you're like, like, who is this crazy looking guy with the with the purple hat, and why does he hate Spider Man? Uh, what I also love is really on anything with kids is if it gets them reading, mm -hmm. that's a win. Yes. So and, yeah. I, I'm very simple. Like I've had this argument with my mom and with other people and I'm like, I don't care. He's reading, leave him alone. Yes. Now I do make him like when he wants his, wants extra time on the switch or something. I'm like, uh, uh, go read an adult, go read an approved chapter book. Yeah. But that, so, that's so the, it. the only problem with uh, reading in comics scenario, like especially like manga, it's like five dollars for a book that they can read in like fifteen minutes, and then it's like I want the next one. I'm sorry, kid, I'm not made of money. <laughs> so, so at least with chapter books, it slows them down yeah. a little bit. But my kids read like um, Dogman, like each one of those six times. Fair. Yeah, so, the wings, uh, wings of fire, like ten. So uh, before we let you go, dear listener, we'd like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. Speaking of reviews, are there places when they buy these comics that they can leave reviews? Because if they're buying them in comic shops, there's obviously not a review platform on that comic shop. So where do they go to review your comics? Um, we that's a good question. So I think there, there's a few places I can I can send you some links of stuff and you can you can drop it in there where people have reviewed our books and um it's open for like people to come in and do reviews. Um there I mean that's and that's another issue with uh the indie market is that there isn't one place to go to find out about indie books. You can go to all these sites and find out about what's going on with Marvel, DC, and Image, but there isn't one stop shop for indie and hopefully uh in the next couple months, that's something we're going to change because we're we're going to we're going to try to do this whole entire indie summit thing and bring everybody together and talk about th that kind of stuff. Where if yeah, I'm you guys a, need something like Goodreads, yeah, but for comics, yeah. So that that's the one thing we want we want to talk about and try to get these things figured out. So we're that's right. What I'm doing right now too is I'm contacting store owners, I'm contacting creators, and we're going to get this indie summit thing together. We want to do it virtually first, and then maybe in the future do something at like a convention or something like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing, like I said, that I'm walking down all these paths and, and trying to reinvigorate these the comics and try to get people back into these shops. I know a lot of people left because of this thing or that thing, but I mean, it's a different market now and you've got way more variety than you did in, in the past. That is fair. And so if you want to create the website that review all the things or the YouTube channel or the bit shoot or wherever people are going to do those things, uh, and you want to, to do that as a passion because you love these comics as so well, uh, I imagine that you could reach out to Marvin and he could put you in contact with a lot more creators and you can expand your reach because that's where yin meets yang and magic can happen. Mm -hmm. So real quick, uh, before, before we get everyone to tell, you can tell everyone where they can reach you family-friendly rating on your comics for, for parents listening? Because we've got a lot of families that listen with kids that, you know, to the podcast. What would you rate the comics? Uh, so the comic book is rated, I would, it's actually on the book, it's PG-13. So it's no different than a uh, Marvel uh, or DC movie. Uh, we we do, we do we block out the swears. We may say damn or, or something like that before. Um, 
we don't go over the top with the violence. I mean, you, you see a guy getting his, his, his head all melted out, but we're not showing his head exploding and brains going everywhere. So, I mean, we keep it PG-13. That's fair. All right. So where can um, our listeners and viewers find you on the interwebs? So uh, the website is theedgecomic.com, which I said is currently pointed at our Kickstarter. But you can sure. find me on um, Twitter, uh, at Marvin Wynn, on Facebook, uh, The Edge uh, Comic, and on Instagram, uh, at The Edge Comic. And as usual, dear listener, those will be in the show notes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show backslash Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We actually respond to those. Uh, well, doc does because you know, she, she's got to earn that uh, paycheck. Uh, we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen, which is Facebook. You can write sentences. I, I dust the words. We have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Be sure to hop in there and join the discussion and start one yourself and talk about all the nerdy things. If it's spec fic and fan related, we want to talk about it. Talk, uh, nerdy, to talk nerdy to us. We should get the t-shirt and write that. Someone's probably already done it though. But um so we have our website, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades, where you can support us uh, the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Help keep the lights on. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Or you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. My glass is broken, J.R. I told you to fix this. Uh, we got to get people to donate a little bit more money to get you another thing or get that meat company to sponsor us. Speaking of uh, sponsorships, thank you for, for making this show happen today, Mr. Wynn. Uh, and because we haven't done it yet and it's too late to kick you off, so you, you, you dodged a bullet. How do you feel about pineapples on pizza? I used to eat Hawaiian pizza all the time. Oh, my God. Never coming back. Doc, close the show out. <laughs> He is so coming back. Maybe next time we'll even get Nick to join us or we'll order pizza. <laughs> we'll just do a whole stream where they just eat Hawaiian pizza while they torture me. <laughs> yes, JR. Yes. Put up to the camera. It's got pineapples on it. Pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doc, bring us home. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. This is Blasters and Blades podcast. Um, occasionally we allow Nick on. We seem to have a lot of JR. I don't get that. Um, but I, I enjoy your time. I hope to hear from you guys soon. Uh, next week we'll be back. Same time, same place. Indulging our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom. And of course, torturing JR because it's the best entertainment.